Good morning. We're, uh, like I said, we're working through the book of Psalms. Listen, if you know anything about me, I've spent a lot of time with many of you. If you know anything about me, you know this. True confession, I'm a people watcher. I love to watch people. As a matter of fact, I worked 18 years in the retail industry, and there is no better place to probably watch people than at the mall, okay? Um, when we were on vacation a couple of weeks ago, we were at Myrtle Beach, and I'm, I'm just, I find people fascinating, right? I like to observe them. I like to enjoy their mannerisms. I like to see how they communicate and interact with different people. And there's one thing I've noticed about all people. We're pretty simple at the, at, the, at the core of who we are. We desire to be happy. That's what people really want, right? If we were to boil it all down and say, why do people do what they do? It's because they desire to be happy. As a matter of fact, we all long for peace and satisfaction. Solomon, Solomon would say in the book of Ecclesiastes that, that God actually made man upright, but, but they've sought out many schemes. They've sought out many schemes. And what were the schemes that, that they sought out? Well, they sought out many schemes to, to find peace, joy, and satisfaction. Well, even though God has made us upright, we have been corrupted by our pursuit of foolish pleasures. We all want to be happy, and that is what drives what we do and what we believe. Um, matter of fact, Blaise Pascal, and I, I know if you've been here long enough, I've read this quote to you, and I'm going to read it to you again because I think it's, it's a really profound quote if you will think about it. Blaise Pascal was a famous mathematician and philosopher, but listen to what he says. He says, all men seek happiness. He says, this is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Now you might think, well, that's a, that's a strange way to end a quote. But what he's saying, listen to what he's saying, even those who end their lives, they do that because they think that's the final thing. It's the last thing that might bring me the peace that I so long for. And I, I know this to be true. I know it to be true in my own heart. I know it to be true in the lives of others because I see it play out. But listen, he would also be known for saying this. He says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And to that, I would say, amen. And the only reason I know that is because God in his kindness, when he saved me, he showed me my great needs can't be met by anything he's ever made, but only made and created by him. So I can only be satisfied in God. If we try to stuff anything inside that God-shaped vacuum hole in our lives, we're going to end up dissatisfied, restless, disconnected. But but you fill that God-shaped hole with God, and you're going to find out that peace and satisfaction we all long for comes to you. Now, does that mean we don't have trials? It does not mean we don't have trials. But what you will realize is that the soul that longs to be satisfied can only be satisfied by God. We long for God. We long to be connected to our maker. So, so you guys realize, listen, this world is jacked up. It's shattered into a million pieces. And, and we know this. I mean, just even at IUP this week, we've had a shooting already. We've already had a shooting at IUP. And, and you don't have to, to look hard to see this place is broken. You just got to look at the newspaper. 
You've got to take your head out of the sand and read the news. You've got to look at what's going on. You've got to take the time to talk to people. And when you do, you will find out, boy, this place is hurting. This place is hurting. And if you've never experienced that, it's coming for you. There, I, you're like, man, I came here to get cheered up. Sorry, you will. Maybe hang in there. But listen, you've got to understand the bad news before you can understand anything. Because good news doesn't really, it's really not good until you understand the, the plight that we're in as humans. Um, I spend a lot of time at Spirit Life, and I, and I talk to a lot of different addicts, people hooked on heroin, and, and for years have done a lot of different things that they're terribly ashamed for. But you know what they all down inside ask themselves? And actually, every human heart asks this question, why do I exist and what was I created for? Everybody's asking themselves that in some way. You know, that question continues to haunt man, and it's, it's in their heart, and it's not by accident. God placed that question in man's heart. In one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Solomon, once again in the book of Ecclesiastes, writes this. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. God has. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so, he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Did you, quite, did you catch that? Because listen, I read it pretty quick. But God has given man an eternal outlook. Why has he done that? So that we can look beyond the brokenness of this actual life. However, it says he's not given us all wisdom and all knowledge to understand the mysteries of this life. He's not done that. So we still ask the question, why do I exist? What was I created for? Why am I here? Well, the good news is the Bible the Bible is not silent on that question. The Bible actually answers that question. We exist because it pleased God to make us. Plain and simple, it pleased him to make us. Right? We exist also to, to give him glory. Don't make the silly mistake of thinking that somehow we exist because God was lonely and needed some companionship so he made humans. That's just silliness. And you might even hear that. You'll hear that throughout the world for sure. But you might even hear that within churches. And it's just wrong. First off, God was not bored. God's delighted with God. There's never been a time where God's been dissatisfied. In him is all satisfaction. So he makes us because it, it pleased him, plain and simple. But yet we've sought out many schemes. It's a twisted version of Jerry Maguire to think that somehow we complete God. I mean, it really is. God created us because it pleased him, and we will learn that today. Because it's going to say that our God, who is in heaven, does all that he pleases. Now, you might be thinking, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing thought. It is an amazing thought, one that requires our meditation. And Isaiah tells us that everyone who is called by God's name, who he created for my glory, he says, whom I formed and made, in a sense, were created to worship God. And it's important that we worship God. Worship's to be in awe of God. See, to see him for how glorious he is and what he has given us through Christ, the things that we don't deserve. Listen, if you're here and you're a Christian, it is only by God's grace that you're a Christian. It's not because you're impressive and somehow found your way to the creator and lover of your soul. It's by grace through faith in Jesus. And those who are his, adopted into his family, listen, we have eternal love. We have grace, we have the Holy Spirit, we have everlasting peace, eternal joy, saving faith, comfort, strength, wisdom. Oh, what don't we have? We have reconciliation, adoption, justification, sanctification, and one day we will have glorification. And when we think about the greatness of our God, what should well up in our hearts and in our minds is worship. 
Worship is not just when we sing songs like we just did. That's part of worship. But you could be there singing songs and not worshiping and enjoying God. You could just be doing your thing. Or you could be standing there and maybe you're not singing, but you're enjoying and worshiping your God because it comes from the heart. See, it's said that worship is a way of reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. We're commanded to worship. Delight yourself in your Lord. Be glad and rejoice. And when we do this, it honors God and it brings him glory. And this is why John Piper is so famously quoted for this. He says, the chief end of man is to, in, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So when we worship, it brings God glory. The question, though, listen, this is all introduction. The question is not, do we worship? We do worship. Every human being worships. The question is, are we worshiping the one triune God of the Bible, or are we worshiping something in his place? That really is the question. See, all people everywhere are continually worshiping. Inside each and every one of us, though, is a war taking place. And, and the war taking place is, will we worship our one true God, creator, or will we worship something else, something he's made? We will either do that, we will either worship God, or we will make a God in our hearts and in our minds. Even the most hardened atheists worship. Believe that. I guarantee it. And whenever we love and serve anything in place of God, we're engaging in idolatry. That's what the Bible would say. You want to know what you worship? It's not hard. There's a couple diagnostic questions that you need to ask yourself and be honest. And what are they? Well, one, what do you love first and foremost? What do you trust first and foremost for your safety, for your satisfaction, for your enjoyment? What is it that you fear most? If you ask those questions, if anything other than God invades your mind and your heart in those answers, well, my friend, you are engaging in idolatry. Matter of fact, we run to functional saviors because we think that they're going to do a God thing for us. We think that they're going to provide the joy we seek. We think that they're going to give us the peace we long for. We think that they'll give us value. But ultimately, we think they're going to satisfy our soul. But there's only one who can. And in the end, if we do this, we actually conclude that these objects are worthy of our worship. But we couldn't be further from the truth. So let's look at Psalm 115 today. And let's see how to live a life that glorifies God. It's unclear as to who wrote this particular psalm or when it was even written. But, but listen, from what I can find from many scholars who are way smarter than myself have said, they believe it's from when Israel returned from the exile. But even though we don't know when, here's what we do know. The writer of this psalm has seen idolatry. It, it has seen pagans worshiping false gods. He has seen Israel worshiping false gods. And I would go as far to say from the psalm, he's sick to his stomach. He's heartbroken. And he wants God, whom he loves, to receive the worship that he's so worthy. And so, so... Um, worthy to enjoy, but also deserving of. So let, he cries out, and, and let's look at Psalm 115 together. Will you join me? We're going to start with the first three verses. So Psalm 15, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out now. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3, and we're going to work our way down through this psalm uh, for the rest of our time. So it says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. He says, why, why should nations say, where is their God? 
Why should they say that? He says, our God is in heavens. He's in the heavens. And he does all that he pleases. He is a sovereign, good, steadfast, loving, faithful God. Why should the other nations say, where's our God? See, he says, not to us. Not to us. No, Lord, to you get glory, not to us. And you've got to ask yourself, why is there such an emphasis on God being glorified and not us? Plain and simple, because humans are glory thieves. (laughs) We're glory thieves. Oh, man, we desire to be praised. We desire to be recognized. We desire to get the credit for the things that we do. We want 100 likes on Facebook before noon if I posted it on 10 o'clock. And I know it is so profound. Everybody should be following me on Instagram and all the other things. We want to be recognized. We seek compliments. We seek attention. And at the end of the day, if we're honest, we seek glory. And the thing is, this, this should not be a strange thing. We want to be the center of the universe. We do. Just watch a child. Man, it's like, it's, it's like prego, man. It's just in there. It's the brokenness of our sin and our fallen nature. You know, is there an innocence to it in a child? Yeah, but boy, you give time. Boy, it will grow up. It will grow up, and it still wants that same attention. But don't think you're any better. If we're all being honest, we're all in this together. But God's not silent here. He's not silent. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, my praise to carved, nor my praise to carved idols. He's very jealous for his glory, and he's the only one worthy. See, God has declared, my glory I will give to no other. And why should he? Who or what would we worship if we do not worship God? Me? <laughs> well, I make a terrible God. You? I don't know you probably as well as I would like to, but I'm going to guess you all make terrible gods. And what? The, how about the next president of the United States? Mm, no. 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 How about Antonio Brown, Steeler fans? You could do that, but he'll let you down too. At the end of the day, we all make terrible gods. And, and that's God's kindness. That's God's kindness. Yet in spite of the fact that we know this, that we should not seek glory for ourselves, we're all prone to do it. It's been said that the the human heart is an idol factory. Listen, we're producing new things to love and to worship and seek and to adore all day, every day. We produce them at an alarming rate. And the thing is, this will not bring us joy, but actually places us in slavery, and it grieves the heart of God. God alone is to be glorified, and for the sake of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And listen, God's people, Israel, they knew this. Oh, they knew this. They knew that they serve a great and glorious God who is steadfast in love and faithful. I mean, just think about it. Let's take a walk down memory lane and think about just one of the storylines, right? We remember from the birth of Israel that God, time and time again, has delivered his people. The story begins with a promise from God to Abraham that he would make him, his offspring, more numerous than the stars in the sky. And a great nation who would one day dwell in the promised land. And if God says it, it will happen. He cannot lie. He cannot break a promise. Yet... After that promise, 400 years go by, and Abraham's descendants are still not in the promised land. The Israelites lived as foreigners in the land of Egypt. So the Egyptians, fearing that the the Hebrews were actually going to grow into a mighty nation and overtake them, chose to force God's people into slavery. And they might be thinking, have you forgot about me, God? 
No, no, no. Israel continued to grow, and God did not forget his people. He does not forget his people. And in reaction to God's people, continual growth. The Pharaoh gave a nasty order that every son that's born should be thrown into a river. But, but one couple chose not to listen to that decree and instead chose to trust God with their lives and with the life of their baby. And so they, they take this child when they could no longer hide the child and place him in a basket and sent him down the river. And, and, and Pharaoh's daughter, and I know we're skipping a lot of great things, but we're just telling a little bit of a narrative right now. Some of you are like, I've been in church since I was a kid. I know this. Hang in there. You can't hear it enough. And there are people, believe it or not, here who have never heard this, right? So sends the baby down the river and Pharaoh's daughter sees the child and takes pity on him, draws him out of the water and names him what? Moses, because he's drawn out of the water, right? Moses grows older, and he sees the suffering of his people, and anger starts to burn within him. One time he witnessed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and Moses killed the man and fled Egypt and hid in the desert. Years passed, and Moses got married, makes a new life for himself, and becomes a shepherd. But then, listen, God, in his steadfast love and his faithfulness, one day, He hears the voice of the Lord, and he's calling from him out of a burning bush. And God told Moses that he saw the persecution of his people in Egypt, and he heard their cries. Now think about the steadfast love of our God. He promised to deliver the Israelites from slavery, and he commanded Moses to go before Pharaoh on their behalf. Now, if you guys remember, Moses was terrified. He's not feeling up to the task. He starts talking about how he has like a speech impediment. And he says, could you maybe send my brother Aaron? But listen, God sent Moses. But he also sent him with his brother Aaron. That's fine. Moses was missing the point. I'm going to be with you. We got this. I am, meaning they're not. There are no others. I can do this. Just go. And he goes. Now, the brothers went before Pharaoh, performing signs and wonders, but Pharaoh would not listen. And why would he? He has two men standing there saying, let, let God's people go. And I mean, Pharaoh is like a God on earth, but he's not God. He starts to laugh at this, and he doesn't set him free. So God brought down plagues. You guys know this story. Yet Pharaoh's heart remained hard. Heart is stone. And actually, to prepare for the tenth and the final plague, the Hebrews marked their doors with blood of the spotless lamb pointing forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But that night, that night, the angel of death passed through the kingdom, killing the firstborn child of everyone who did not bear the marking that God said, including Pharaoh's. Now, heartbroken, right? Heartbroken Pharaoh, he has a little bit of like worldly grief, tells his people, let the Israelites go, and they were finally set free. The Spirit of God led the people out toward the promised land. But Pharaoh's grief soon turned to rage. And he changed his mind, and he commanded the Egyptian army to pursue them. Right? You guys know this. When the Israelites came to the Red Sea, what happened? Moses lifts up his staff, and what happens? The waters part. The Israelites pass through. God delivers his people, and the Egyptians go in and follow, and he's faithful. He's steadfast. God delivers his people, leads them out of slavery. He leads them out of slavery, and now they're free. They are free to worship and enjoy their God. Now, listen, after witnessing this kind of steadfast love and faithfulness, I mean, this is some amazing stuff, right? Don't you think there should be no problem knowing their God's great and worshiping him? I mean, if you just saw what they just witnessed, that should be easy. But 
I don't know if you remember, what's the first commandment of the, first, of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. And I'm thinking, if I'm an Israelite, it's like, well, duh. Yeah, I mean, there are no others. I just witnessed what you did. You are a good and gracious, steadfast, loving God. I've seen your power. You are worthy. You're the only one worthy. But, and I'm thinking, does that even need to be said if I'm there? And now, obviously, I'm injecting my own brain into a time when I didn't exist. But they got to be like, who else would we worship? Well, if you remember, what's the one command God gave after the Ten Commandments? What's the one he reminded them of? So he gives the Ten Commandments, and then, listen, in Exodus 20, 22, 23, this is after the Ten Commandments, he reminds them. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. <laughs> really, God? Like, listen, I, I don't know if this one's necessary, let alone needing to repeat it. We got this. Like, you are God. We're out here to worship you. We're here to enjoy you. Well, if you guys remember this story, it didn't take Israel long to disobey. It really didn't. This is why God repeated the command. It was necessary. Right? You guys remember? Moses went to spend some time with God, and in his delayed, in his return, he comes down. And what was happening? Well, the people were impatient. And they asked God, well, they asked, I'm sorry, they asked Aaron to make them a God, right? And they, they melt down the gold. Make some gods for us to worship. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding. And instead of, and Aaron, listen, instead of Aaron actually reminding God's people, uh, no, do you guys not remember like the first commandment? He repeated it, and that's kind of silly. He just jumps into the sin pool together, and they foolishly, foolishly worship that which they made with their own hands. And see, now the temptation for us today, church, would be to hear that and be like, they were so stupid. (laughs) And I think, you know, when I'm writing this, I'm like, yeah, man, they were so, I should quit, right? Why? Because that would be a mistake. We have an even greater understanding of God's steadfastness and faithfulness and love. And yet, boy, the heart is prone to wonder, right? It is prone to to wonder. We have the complete Bible. We understand Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, ascension, the fact that he's at the right hand of the Father, continually mediating our relationship. Yet the sin of idolatry works in the same way in our hearts today, maybe with a nuance, right? So idolatry does not bring God glory. It grieves him. It grieves him. Listen to the psalm as it continues. So Psalm 115, 4 through 8, and listen to what the psalm writer says now. Listen, he says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. He's talking about the pagans. They have mouths, but they do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. I love how the writer uses some cutting satire to get to the heart of the people. I mean, that's what it is. Listen to what he says. Their golds are made of silver and gold, or their gods are made of silver and gold, made by human hands. Plain and simple, what's he saying there? Listen, if you made it, you're a fool if you worship it. 
If you made it with your hands, it's not a god. And then he goes on. Listen, they've got mouths. Yeah, you carved out a mouth, but they don't speak. And if they don't speak, how can they tell you anything about them? How can they tell you anything about what is good or evil? How can they tell you about how amazing they are? Answer, they cannot. They have eyes, but they don't see. So when you're in distress, when you're hurting, when you're in pain, when you're crying out for your God, where is your God? That's right. They see you. Oh, no, wait, they don't because they can't see you. They don't exist. They have ears, but don't hear. You can pray all day long. You can cry out to your God, but your God cannot hear you. And listen, that reminds me of of 1 Kings 18. And I would love to go through the narrative of this, but I cannot. But I will tell you this, Elijah is actually working with about 450 false prophets. This is in 1 Kings 18. I'm going to read verses 25 through 30. Listen to what he says as there's 400 false prophets building an altar to cry out to their God who does not exist. And listen to what it says. It says, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it. Prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put it to fire. Right? And they took the bull, and it was given to them, and they prepared it upon the altar and called upon the name of Baal, which is a God that does not exist, from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, answer us, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. They're tired. They've been crying out from morning till noon, crying out, and no answer. And at noon, listen, Elijah mocks them. What's he say? He says, cry aloud for he is God. Now, now you got to hear this. He goes, either he is musing himself, or maybe he's relieving himself. Now, this is in the Bible. He's saying, the reason your God can't hear you, maybe he's musing himself. Mm, No, maybe he's relieving himself. Your God has to go to the bathroom. That's what it says. Or is he on a journey? Maybe he's not home. Okay. Or perhaps he's asleep. This is all in the Bible, and must be awakened. What's he saying? If your God has to sleep, if your God needs a little nappy, um, that's a pretty pathetic God you worship. And they cried aloud, and they actually end up cutting themselves, as was their custom, with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them, as is the midday past. And they raved on in the offering of the obligation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Well, if you know the story continues, Elijah goes over and he digs a moat around his altar and he cries out to the one true God and God hears his prayers and he takes up the offering. And then Elijah, in like one of the greatest ministry days ever, takes all 450 prophets down and slaughters them. This is the God we worship. Now he's mocking him. Listen, he goes on in Psalm 115. He says, listen, they have noses, but they don't smell. So you can burn up offerings all day long. They're not going to smell it. They have feet, but they don't walk. Can you hear the sarcasm in this? Do you hear the satire? Don't leave your God at home because he won't go with you. He can't. You're going to have to take him. He's mocking him. But listen, those who make idols and those who trust in them, listen to the stark warning. You become like them. Mute, blind, deaf, and lifeless. Now, this kind of idolatry still happens within the world today. Um, Two years ago, my wife and I and my daughter, we were actually at some friends of ours who were from Nepal. 
Okay, and these folks, listen, these guys are, are from Nepal, and his one, the one young man, his dad was a high priest of a Hindu faith. They worship many gods. And, and we finish an amazing dinner, and, and my daughter, she's there, and she sees this little idol, and she was like seven years old, and, and she knew what it was. My, my daughter's pretty sharp, and she says uh, to the young man, she goes, what, what is this? And he goes, oh, Sela, Sela. He goes, that is my god. And she goes, oh, he's pretty small. Now, she's seven years old, okay? And he, he, his eyes get a little big. He don't know what to do with that. But actually, his roommate, who is also his cousin, goes, actually, Sarah, you're right. He is very small. This is why we forget about him. Now, his friend was very upset with that statement. And Sarah goes, well, my God's big. And she, he's like, oh, yeah, she, he's very big. And matter of fact, even if I forget about him, my daddy in the Bible says that he'll never forget me. And I'm like, out of the mouths of a baby. Out of the mouths of a baby. Now, please don't, don't get me wrong. Yesterday, I had the privilege of spending time with about 70 people from all over the world. I love people from all over this globe, because they're all made in God's image. He loves them. I love them. I want them to know the way, the truth, and the life that is only through Jesus. I love people of every place, and I respect people of every place. God loves them. I'm not saying anything about that, but I have no respect for their false gods. None. Not one iota, because those false gods lead many, many people to hell. Okay, so make no mistake about it. I love people. I want them to know the one true God. God delights to reveal himself. So, so, okay, my guess is none of you have a physical idol in your home. My guess. Some of you may, but most of you probably don't have a literal idol that you actually go and physically bow down to. Yet, in the heart of everyone is continually working to worship. We're always worshiping. And you and I, well... We may make the mistake of thinking, since I don't have a physical idol, I don't worship other things. And I think we might be wrong to think that. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says. He says, an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hands. Okay? So Jeremiah, listen to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 2, 12 through 13. He says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two great evils. What are the two great evils? Well, one, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So, okay, God is the only life giver. They've forsaken me. They've abandoned me. But not only did they do that, then they actually go and make, they hewned out cisterns for themselves, but they're broken cisterns. They're cisterns that cannot hold water. So get this, we've abandoned the one true God, who is the source of living waters, and we attempt to get our thirst quenched by drinking from broken cisterns. Oh, we've made them for ourselves. This is what he's saying. This is a sinful and stupid thing to do. But listen, we've all done it because it is seductive. It is seductive. We must understand that idolatry ultimately is placing anything or anyone above God. It's elevating a gift that God has given above the giver. It could be taking a good gift that God's given and making it ultimate. The reason we do this is to get what we desire most. Christian, if we're not careful, we could actually end up giving our love and our devotion, our time, and ultimately ourselves to something created instead of the creator. So what are some of the broken cisterns 
that I see within America many times. By the way, I've read a lot of different books, and, 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 I don't, I, and I've read them on idolatry, and here's what I've noticed. I boil them down, so I take all these different things I've read, and then just the things I've observed. I think you can boil almost all idolatry down to about four broken cisterns. So let's talk about them. So life's hurting, you're hurting, you want to run to a functional Savior. What are some of the things you might run to? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Let me, hopefully, by God's grace, answer it. First, we run to ourselves, right? Just a better version of me will help me. I mean, the lie that the future version of you is somehow going to make your life better is just futile. Why? Because, well, uh, let's be honest, you have placed yourself probably in your greatest problems. So running to you is, well, it's, it's foolishness, right? This is, I mean, we might do P90X. We might go run marathons. By the way, none of those things in themselves are bad. None of those things. But if you start to place them as like, this will be what will finally make me happy, you're wrong. I just need to lose 20 pounds, P90X, starve ourselves. Listen, the list goes on and on. And this is why I see many, oh, and it's heartbreaking. Many young ladies will starve themselves because they have some vision of what it looks like to be beautiful. And so they will harm themselves. And ultimately, they're giving their thoughts and their attentions over. And when they do that, they've engaged. Now, they would never say it that way. Into idolatry, they've run to something that ultimately can't save you. They've run to something that can only enslave you. And I've seen the effects of it. And it's heartbreaking. All right, so after you've lived long enough, guess what you probably stop doing? Hopefully, generally, you'll stop running to yourself. Because you realize, ah, I'm pretty jacked up. But, but... Then you run to others, right? And this is a big one in our culture, right? It's the Jerry Maguire syndrome. You had me from hello. You complete me. Now, a lot of you are young and you're like, I don't even know who Jerry Maguire is, but that used to be a very popular movie. And, and listen, it's, a, it's, it's, it's okay. It's a movie. But the lie that someone else other than Jesus is going to complete you is just that. It's a lie. Matter of fact, we think, well, if I just had a better wife, Right? Or maybe I need a wife. Maybe I need a girlfriend. How about a husband? A better husband? One that actually works and does things. And he's just the dreamiest man ever. And his hair flows like Fabio. And I'm dating myself now. But here's the thing. These dudes will never make you happy. Ultimately, they won't. They can't. And that's God's kindness to never allow that. That's why there's so much adultery and divorce within our, in our culture. We somehow bought the lie that if I just had someone else, then that person would make my life awesome. And it's, it's just a lie. We even see this, I see this with, with children. If I just had a child, then I'd be happy. Our children, good children, are awesome. They're a gift from God. Our husbands and wives, a gift from God, absolutely. But they won't ultimately make us happy, peaceful, content. They can't. They can't. Listen, make no mistake about it. Women make terrible gods. Men make terrible gods. Babies make terrible gods. And not only that, you'll crush the object of worship because they can't withstand the pressure. They were never meant to be put in that place. Okay. Well, I've screwed it up. And others screwed it up because they're screwed up. So those two are gone. How about things of the world? That's another really good hewned out cistern. Let's go try a drink from there. Well, what you're going to find out, and I, from seeing this in retail, 
This doesn't work either. If I just had a boat, if I had a houseboat, if I had a boat that was in a house that was big enough to hold all the things that I had, if I had, you can fill in the blanks, baby. It will not satisfy you. It won't. But it does for a moment. I mean, we've all bought an outfit that we thought, yeah, I look pretty good in this. We've all got a haircut and did this and did that. And we're like, for a moment, I feel good. I like this car. There's no dings in it. It doesn't smell. It actually has the new car smell. I like this. But in about a month, you're going to Walmart. It don't even take that long. And you get a ding in your car. And guess what still comes month after month for three, four, five, six, hopefully not beyond that years, a payment. And it didn't make you happy. Shocker. Oh, I need a new car. How futile can we be, people? Oh, we continued it. By the way, I'm right there with you. I'm no better. So just because I'm standing up here means nothing. I've all went to the hewned out cisterns. They don't make you happy. Okay, what's the last one? By the the way, you might be like, there's a whole bunch more. Great. And you can talk about them another time. But we're going to go to one more. How about this one? Religion. That's always the last hewned out cistern we go to. (laughs) It is so subtle. I mean, you're a pastor and you just said religion. I did do that. That's right. It's the, let's make a checklist to make the deity happy. It's like, let's go to church and be on time and read our Bibles. By the way, I love all these things. You should do these. You should go to church. You should read your Bible. But if you're doing these things because you think that doing those things will make you happy, you are in slavery. You're in slavery. The gospel is the good news that Jesus loves you in spite of you, and you put your faith and trust in him. He completes you, but you do nothing. You can do nothing. He's done it all, and you trust in him. And now, out of a response, you do follow him. But it's not to get the love that you already have. The gospel is you have the love by repenting and believing in good news of Christ. See, many of these things that we just mentioned are good. Make no mistake about it. They're good. Matter of fact, almost all of them. But when we make these good things want to do a God thing for us, that's a bad thing because that's idolatry. It's elevating the gifts above the giver. It's seeking the ultimate satisfaction in things other than God, who is the lover and savior of our soul. So what must we do? What must we do? Well, if you find yourself living a life of idolatry, you must smash your idols. You must smash them and place your faith in Jesus as our helper, our defender, our source of life's blessings. Listen to how the the psalm writer finishes it out. By the way, the word, O Israel, you could just say, like, O church, right? God's people. Maybe that helps you. O Israel, trust in the Lord. What's he doing? He's calling for a call to faith. Trust in the Lord. He is their helper and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, you worshipers, listen. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The God, listen, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Arian. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The deed the deed do not pray I'm sorry the dead do not praise the lord nor do any who go down into silence but we we will bless the lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the lord 
So what must we do? It's simple. It's simple. Repent and believe in the gospel. Listen, Martin Luther was quoted saying this one time. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he actually willed that the entire life of the believers be one of repentance. So what does that look like? Well, first off, we have to confess our tendencies to to diminish God, to diminish God and his glory through the sin of idolatry and then smash our idols. This is what God told his people to do. Listen to the words in Exodus 34, 13, and 14. He says, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. And you, for you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Jealous for your worship. Not like some high school teenage girl jealous, but like he is worthy and he knows it's good for you to give all your love and attention and affection and worship to him. And when you do, you get everything. That's why he's jealous. It's a jealous love. Not an insecure jealousy. Deuteronomy 13, or 12, through three, uh, 12 verse 3. He says, You shall tear down their altars and dash them into pieces, their pillars, and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of this place. Listen, freedom, Christian freedom, non-Christian freedom comes in when we admit that we have been an unfaithful people. And quit pretending that we've not given our love and affection to a false savior. And remind ourselves of God's grace and turn towards Jesus as our only hope. That's what we're called to do. As a matter of fact, James in chapter 4, he walks down through a list of things that we should do as God's people. I'm going to read it, James 4, 7 through 10. If you find yourself engaged in idolatry, and if you think, I've never engaged in idolatry, may I just say you're wrong. You're just wrong. You might not call it that, but I guarantee you're wrong. If you're thinking, this this sermon's for someone else, you're wrong. Or maybe you don't know him. Our hearts all long for things to worship. And if you think you're constantly, continually, wonderfully worshiping Jesus, you're deceived. And listen to what James would tell us to do. He says, God opposes the proud. So you want to think, listen, I don't do this stuff. God opposes the proud. Mm, Back away. That's what he says. But he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but that's exactly what I need. I need grace. Right? Like not one person in here is like some grace graduate who doesn't need grace anymore. Nope, I'm good, dude. Got this. No, I need grace. Well, good. Listen, God gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore. Surrender. What? To God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And look, look at this. Listen to all, these are all things. So submit yourself. Do that. It's a command. That's what he says. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. Resist him. And what? He'll flee from you. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. And what? He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is the God we worship. Listen, it's been said that we worship our way into sin. And ultimately, you need to worship your way out. I love that statement. Worship's what got you in here. 
loving something else other than the one true God, what will get you out? Setting your affections, your mind, your heart on the one true God. We must seek him. We must seek God with our hearts and our minds and our soul. Just as a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. That's what it means to search the Lord. You don't just sit there and wait to get zapped. You wake up, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you seek him out. You go and take a drink. You set your affections, your hearts, and your mind on Christ. We respond in faith. That's what the psalm writer is asking us to do. We rehearse the many privileges that are ours in Christ. We think we dwell upon the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And what is that good news? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it wonderfully. And I love this text. It says, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what we need, and we can't get apart from God giving it to us, the righteousness of God. So get this, Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one, died for our sins, for our our idolatry, along with all the other sins we've committed. But he rose again, eternally triumphant over Satan's sin, death, and all his enemies. And he's defeated all his enemies. And he has rose. And there is no condemnation for those who believe. You hear that? No, no condemnation awaits you. God loves you. You're in Christ. You're his. He has made a way for sinful man and woman and child to be reconciled back to the one who is the life giver, the one of living waters. That is good news. That is the greatest news ever. You see the truth that Jesus is the one who satisfies your soul. He's the one who actually you can run to and enjoy. You will find the peace and the contentment for your heart. There will be days where it won't seem that that's the case, and that's the lie. And then you remind yourself, no, he is the one who is the lover of my soul. And you run to him. Those who are trusting in Jesus for their salvation, listen, God has adopted you into his family. You are a son or a daughter. We don't need to do anything to secure God's love for us. Christ has secured it for us. We trust in what he has accomplished for us. So church, listen, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. They can't satisfy you. And go to Jesus and drink from the living waters. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will actually flow rivers of living water. So when we come to Jesus and when we drink, we drink in the Spirit of God. Think about that. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you if you are a Christian. Don't grieve him with idolatry. Don't. Worship him. Enjoy him. Ask him to fill you with his love. Ask him to fill your heart with the contentment that comes from knowing Jesus because he is the fountain of life. He is our treasure. He is the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the source of all pleasure. He is the best of friends. He is all satisfying. He is your righteousness. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. And if you have seen seen my father you have seen me Jesus says and so this is what the world needs the world needs Jesus that's what you need and if you think I've already got that you may but listen you seek him as if 
You don't, and you rest in his righteousness. Oh, Christian, enjoy your God. Enjoy your God. He's worthy of our worship, and enjoy him.